Another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. Jake Okorowski here, and we'll have Owen Reese jumping on just probably about a couple minutes. But we want to kick this off quickly and get you guys some some great analysis here. Of, of course, Wisconsin defeats Purdue 47-44 in triple overtime. Jonathan Taylor, 321 yards. The offense, 545 yards passing and, and a passing game that kind of came alive in that fourth quarter from the arm of Jack Cohn and, and Danny Davis making some big contested catches. But, uh, you know, we... We'll talk maybe a little bit more about that in a little uh, in just a little bit, but really, uh, we're to get into this. Last week, Owen and I talked about how Wisconsin, you know, this the offense in general, what's been plaguing them: third down conversions, passing completions, uh, you know, the passing game, just uh, offensive line with pass rush, uh, the rushing game. We kind of dug into you know we said let's talk about the wisconsin offense this is going to be part two of the series because i wanted to talk to someone that actually played in an offense that paul christ ran and who was coached underneath paul christ uh for that matter and who better than to bring on than my walk on this way co-author joel nellis himself a former walk-on and played for wisconsin from uh 2001 to 2005 joel great having you on brother uh it's always a pleasure to talk to you hey thanks for the invite jake no worries. And uh, obviously, uh, I mean, real quick, what I mean, from what you saw in the game, you know, what allowed Wisconsin to get back on track that you saw from a player, former player's perspective, from a former Wisconsin player's perspective? And I mean, former Wisconsin player, because obviously Owen uh, played football at Carroll University. But uh, looking just from someone that played in a Paul Christ, you know, underneath Paul Christ. And what did you see? that really got them back on track? Um, I look on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, you look at some of the touchdowns that Jack threw. I think really the issue, the issue or the, the reason for success is uh, timing and accuracy. Uh, Coach Chris used to say that um, timing and accuracy beat any coverage. And I think if you look at where the ball was put on some of those touchdowns and when the ball was thrown, it gave those receivers a chance. I don't think you saw that in the previous two weeks. Um, you know, there's a lot to be said for throwing in rhythm and throwing on time, and um, is evidenced by the Danny Davis catch, the one arm, the one arm catch. It's, you know, it was put in the right spot, and the kid went up and made a play. And I think that's what you you want your guys to do. You want to be able to put the ball in places where a kid can go up and make a play. Holding the ball and throwing it late is not a good decision. So uh, that was one thing I noticed. And then two, I think the other side of it was, you know, when you look at the offense struggling and, and you then put, you know, jumbo tight ends in the game and, and all those other situations, you also then crowd the box. Well, the Badgers use a lot of more 11 personnel. I think it was even the one that Jonathan Taylor scored on. Um, you get a much more decent run box, um, but still run the ball out of 11 personnel. So, um, you know, while we haven't been throwing as much as uh, as much recently, it doesn't mean you still can't use pass alignments to run plays, to run run plays. So, um, you know, if you give yourself a friendly box and allow Jonathan Taylor to stay in the ball game, you know, I think that that provided the spark that they needed. And obviously, Garrett Groshek did a nice job as well. But 
I think just running the ball with Jonathan Taylor in non-traditional uh, running formations or just even out of 11 personnel really added to, added value to the game, uh, which everyone saw. Yeah, I mean, Eric Groshek had that touchdown out of a look, look like 11 personnel uh, as well. And and I think you hit it on the head there, uh, which is interesting. You know, it's an interesting point uh, where teams know that Wisconsin's going to run, but if you spread them out, obviously that helps out greatly. And we're also here with Owen Reese and, and uh why not, Owen, real quick, before we get into talking more about the offense, what did you see from the defensive side and even special teams? I mean, I know Connor Allen did not punt well overall, but he had a big 50-yard boot late in that fourth quarter to help the team, uh, to help that defense kind of you know, back up Purdue and you know disallowed any further opportunity on that last series before overtime. Uh, and our defense gave up a lot of yards, obviously, uh, but it's still uh, certain plays uh, – hunker down you know Andrew Van Ginkle I think made obviously was I gave him one of my game balls just because of his performance with two sacks and 10 tackles but um what did you see with that defense and special teams that you know maybe plays that stood out uh yeah um I think one thing too that uh was mentioned at the time and it made more sense when you watched it um when Jim Nagy uh the executive director of the senior bowl put that video of Van Ginkle up he was talking about NFL teams maybe looking at him as an inside linebacker uh, and I think that you started to see that with um, Ben Ginkle's not like a traditional, like uh, I'm going to line up outside and beat you with a pass rush every other rep type of guy. Uh, so I think that him using his ranginess and you saw it on that tackle um, where he was able to tackle, I believe it was Markel Jones at the one yard line. They forced a field goal there. Um, that was a huge play. He was a little lucky to not get a horse collar there too. Um, but he was there. I thought he did a really good job. He's been extremely opportunistic, which, which is what you saw from him the last three or four games from last year as well. Uh, and it's one of those things where I think you always hear about, uh, you hear Chris talking about it now, but you always heard from Barry Alvarez as well, that um, you want your seniors playing their best football at the end of their career. And I think that's something that you're starting to see with Van Ginkle. Defensively as a whole, um, I think the numbers are going to look a lot worse than really what it was. Uh, Purdue uh, obviously has Jeff Brom and, and he's an innovative offensive guy. Purdue has a lot more offensive skill talent than you would imagine Purdue would have. Uh, David Blau has been a four-year player. He hasn't started the full years, all four years, but he's been a player for four years for them. Um, DJ Knox and Markel Jones are both NFL running backs. Um, and obviously Rondale Moore uh, is a stud and, and like guys like Bryson Hopkins at tight end. So that's going to be a tougher matchup than the average person would think anyways. And I think the Badgers did a good job with that last year. Obviously they didn't have Rondale Moore, uh, but holding them to nine points. I think that, Purdue um, is going to get theirs a little bit offensively. Um, and some guys, I know uh, you and I talked off air uh, about Fayon Hicks and how he had a rough day. And he did have a rough day, um, but I think a lot of that was David Blau being right on the money. Uh, they threw that one down the, the left sideline deep during the fourth quarter um that beat hicks and it was just it was like a 30 yard back shoulder throw i mean there's and, and even the announcers like there's not much else fayon hicks can do there um simply a great play by the receiver and a great throw by the quarterback and then again the one in overtime uh on the first play of the second overtime um just a matter of blau dropping a, a throw in a bucket and the receiver catches it one-handed over hicks shoulder i don't um don't know what else he's supposed to do there. And then the same thing with Wild Goose. He shadowed Rondell Moore, um, who is a, a stud, really. Um, I think he's a future college football star. Um, and Wild Goose got chewed up a little bit at times, um, which is going to happen when you right. 
dedicate one guy to following around the best player on the field um, on another team. Um, but I thought he, he, he fought and he competed hard um, and he put himself in position a lot of plays. He's not going to make every play. Um, but other than the, uh, the seam route where he really kind of got dusted, um, I thought he played pretty well um, considering. I think that's one of those things where considering the youth, um, the talents there clearly, but considering the youth, in that secondary um, and what Jeff Brom's able to throw at you, I think really they performed pretty admirably when you consider the lack of a traditional pass rush and, and stuff. They, they really stymied the Purdue run game and it was really all just blow um, essentially kind of playing seven on seven for a lot of the game. But um, yeah. overall I thought defense really, I mean, I, I ultimately when you look at the end of the game at the end of the stat sheet says 44 points and that's really nothing to write home about. But um, I probably thought that, Within context, the defense played better than their statistics would indicate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we go on to the offense, Joel, real quick, your memories of Purdue, your former roommate, defensive coordinator Jim Leonard, was asked about the 2004 matchup uh, where uh, obviously the Scott Starks fumble uh, and from Kyle Orton and taking it to the house to completely changed the complexion of the game. What's your memories of playing Purdue in, in that game in particular? Um, that one specifically is funny. We were watching the game and my wife goes, oh, that was the greatest game I ever went to as a Badger football fan, um, <laughs> which is, which I think is, I mean, it's, you probably could put that up there against the Ohio state. Lee Evans against the Michigan, John Stocko finish. I mean, just the, the atmosphere around that game, obviously it was college game day. You know, they had Kyle Orton, they were undefeated. We were undefeated. Um, and then just believing that you're going to make a play at the end of the game, you know, and the way it happened. And I think that you look at it and uh, number one, I think Kyle Orton didn't need to dive to make that play. Right. I think he could have slid or ran or whatever the case may be caught up in the moment, right. Players got to do what they got to do. He certainly didn't need to dive. So that was one thing. And then two, uh, as my principal who actually was a principal at in West Lafayette at the time said, um, we were talking about the game because he has some different memories of it. And he's like, you know, they really haven't been right since that time, <laughs> since that game. And you could, you could make the argument if you looked at the Purdue success of Purdue following that game, he's probably dead on like that, right? Joe Tiller, you know, eventually just kind of went by the wayside and then they hired a new coach. And I mean, so really since that game, Purdue football really hasn't been what it, it was leading up to that with Drew Brees and Kyle Orton and all those other guys. So, um, yeah, it was just an amazing moment. And I remember, um, I think people forget, much like the Minnesota game, like there were still opportunities. Like Purdue had to go down and miss a field goal, and they yep. actually got into range. Um, and then they got into range, and thank God. I remember Coach Alvarez standing on the mark where the guy was kind of in range, and they were ahead of that mark. I'm like, oh, God, like please don't let it end that way. Um, and then obviously uh, it went off. And then the third most telling thing, because we played in a pretty cold playoff game the other day, and I remember I <laughs> I wasn't, you really weren't allowed to wear sleeves as an offensive lineman. So I remember being so cold <laughs> that game and just so <laughs> thankful, so thankful to be able to go inside after that. Cause I definitely had just a normal, normal outfit on. So uh, that was pretty brutal, but yeah, it was an awesome, it was an awesome experience. That was a, yeah, I just think it's pretty neat to, to think about that. They really haven't had the same magic in the program that they had since that loss. So. Yeah. Well, didn't, didn't they miss the, didn't Wisconsin miss the extra point? If, if I'm mistaken, was that the, um, was that it, or was I, I thinking about a different game? I thought I don't remember the answer to that question honestly. Okay, but still, they had the, right. 
they 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 could have went off and yeah obviously they had that chance to and they 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 missed the field goal there man uh, but yeah no it's always fun talking about those those memories and hopefully later this week I'm gonna try to get talk to Ben Strickland and Zach Hampton about uh, the Minnesota uh, game in 2005 uh, hopefully I can get something like that I should have I need to prep better but anyways the you know we had you on here too you know we want to talk to you about Purdue and what you saw from a former Wisconsin player's perspective but really. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, what are you seeing from this offense? And yeah, they had a great output against Purdue and the Russian attack got back on track. Uh, you know, Jonathan Taylor went off and I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying about using the different personnel, but you know, overall though, what's been ailing the offense from your perspective and, you know, and just seeing what this team and, and maybe the media and, you know, I've kind of owned this where, I thought that, you know the expectations were going to be high, and and people knew that the offense was going to need to carry the you know the defense that was replacing seven starters, and they maybe necessarily haven't lived up to the expectations of returning so many. It was a nine returning starters from from that unit. But what are you seeing, Joel? I think the the thing I'll, I'll go back to a couple of different things. Uh, number one, you know you got to have guys that can win on the outside, and I think that that's something that people have kind of thrown under the rug you know they, they want to talk about the quarterback issue they want to talk about the o-line not being able to protect and um some of those things can be warranted but at the same time uh in the big 10 you got to be able to win one-on-one on the outside and i think not having quintess cephas has been um a big issue for the badgers um, not having a guy that you feel not to take credit away from danny davis or aj till all the rest of the group but i mean they haven't and you've seen a little bit you know where they've had some chance to win some balls but maybe not the separation that you would like. Um, so that's one area where you could look at and say that might be a struggle. Then the other thing is throwing on time and, and with location. I think that, you know, Coach Chris and Coach Rudolph, you know, there is an intent on every play. And I remember, um, you know, just listening to Coach Chris talk in film about, you know, sometimes you got to throw the intent and, and what what is open and what isn't open. And I think there's a, a misconception of, how tight of windows you have to throw into in college or people don't understand how tight a window that is. And the quarterback, you got to trust it because a player is most open out of the break, right? And if you can't, if you're having a hard time, if you're not throwing it in rhythm, they may look that it's not open, but if you trust it, right, then you have a chance. So I think just being able to, and I think we saw that from Jack Cohen, you know, if he's holding the ball past probably his, you know, the first time he kind of hitches up, and he's, he's moved on to a second read, then that might already be a little bit too late. So I think that's just the biggest thing I've seen pass game wise is not getting the ball out quickly. And if you think your offensive line is struggling, then that's something you need to do. Um, and then just obviously, I think the one thing is, you know, maybe taking some better shots on early downs. Maybe they are been doing that and I've just missed it. But um, I think you just don't want to always get dictated by the down and distance and you want to look for opportunities to make some plays in different areas. So I think that you've seen some of that, at least in this last game, remedied a little bit by Jack Cohen getting rid of the ball quickly and trusting his playmakers to go make plays. Um, And I think that obviously helped a lot. And now that should give them confidence to continue to do that, hopefully in the upcoming weeks. But obviously there's not really much you can say for the run game because they've been pretty spot on. So um, I don't know. I think that that's something that they'll continue to build on and obviously give confidence to both, you know, Danny Davis and Taylor and all those other guys, but also Cone. And so I think that'll be a great, uh, a great, it was a great win for them in that regard that they didn't just do it 
Obviously, Taylor carried the majority of the load, but they were able to get a couple of those key touchdowns in those situations. And now um, it wasn't just wide open passes. It was forcing the ball into tight spots and making those plays. Joel, I actually uh, something I've kind of noticed and, and, and you bring up the, the first down thing. Um, I think you're right about throwing more on first down, uh, although I think it's probably tough. When I think they showed that graphic where Jonathan Taylor has more yards than like the next highest rusher in the Big Ten on first down alone than they do their whole year. Um, but something I noticed and I, th- I kind of want your your perspective on um, Troy Fumagalli obviously is gone from last year and I think he was a huge um, benefactor of this and it's something I haven't seen nearly at all this season they like won't throw to the tight end or have not thrown to the tight end out of anything other than 11 personnel is that something that you've noticed I think that's um, whether it's a, a a message to Pennison or or something where like they haven't thrown the ball out of like 21 personnel to the tight end and I think that's something that um, is probably missing pretty significantly from the last couple of seasons I was kind of curious on your take on that it's interesting. I guess I haven't thought of it that much in terms of that analysis, but yeah, it might be true. I mean, there's definitely some concepts you can get into, especially out of 21 personnel, you know, that we had in that, you know, and we're staples pretty much when Travis Beckham and all those other guys were, you know, going through as well, just some big deep over concepts or, you know, tight end corners or things like that. Now, um, all that stuff is going to be dictated based on personnel, but I would, you know, I, I would be surprised. I would be surprised that if that was really the case because, um, I think Ferguson is the go-to guy at the moment still, you know, for either quarterback that's in the game is he's the guy they probably trust the most. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see if that would hold up, but, and I think maybe some first down plays and I agree with you on the first down success. Cause you obviously want to have success on first down that kind of mitigates some of your other issues you have later in drives. But I think some first down 20, even 22 personnel pass game stuff would be really good because you might be able to get some bigger chunks of yardage because I'm sure tendencies would dictate that it'd be more run, run heavy. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I, I would, I think I, I've seen most of those catches on third down. You write out of 11 personnel where it's, you know, deep down the middle or digs or, you know, quick outs or things like that to the tight end. But yeah, I think that some of that 21 game pass stuff should and could help even especially out of jet motion. I'm sure there's some different things they could get to. So yeah, that'd be something that I think would be a good addition if, you know, that's what they felt was the best matchup for them in those situations. Yeah, you guys talk about that too. I think I do think they need to pass more, more possibly on first down to, to change it up and keep the defenses honest. But there's this one out of the game notes this week for Wisconsin. Wisconsin's averaged seven point four, almost seven point four yards per rushing attempt on first down, which is number two behind Clemson. Uh, and for in Taylor, I mean, Owen, you mentioned it already about the the yards on first down. He's averaging almost eight yards, like seven point six seven yards per carry on first down too. So I can understand, you know, there's you obviously want to balance it and keep defenses honest, but then you also have that success from from Taylor uh, and the offense in terms of rushing the ball and that down too. So. You're kind of caught up between, you know, trying to, you know, like keep defenses honest, but also gaining those yards, like you mentioned, Joel, when it comes to keeping your second and third downs manageable. So, uh, yeah, that's some, that'll be something to watch, especially against Minnesota. And I, I'm looking too where, you know, I, and maybe we can talk about this with the offense too, looking ahead to the future. I know we only got a couple more minutes with you, Joel, but when it comes to talking about quarterbacks and, Alex Hornibrook right now, the injury report just came out Monday, uh, you know, today, 
Uh, earlier this morning, Alex Hornibrook is still uh, questionable with a head injury. David Edwards uh, with his left arm and Taiwan Dio with his right leg are also questionable. But going back to Hornibrook and, and Jack Cohn, you saw some, I thought, a little bit more maturity and a little bit more being more comfortable, obviously, with starting his third game of the year. Uh, but then you look at 2000, not to look too far ahead because it's Minnesota week, but uh, I, I guess I'm just wondering, like, from your perspective as a player, and it's different for every player, right? And some players like Trevor Lawrence at Clemson can come in and run that offense and and beat out two other four to five star quarterbacks. Uh, but with Paul's offense and your knowledge of it, you know, and obviously Graham Mertz is the big name. How are you feeling about, you know, the, the potential for next year and how it could set up? I think the, the couple of points to keep in mind for all Badger fans is one, um, the best decision will always get made based on, right, who the best player is for the opportunity. And I think that that with the lively, you know, coaches have their livelihoods to think about, right? And they also have the livelihoods of all the members of the team. So I think when people, you know, you see some of the, the loonies on social media and they complain about this, that, and the other thing, you really don't know what it's like because you're not in the room and you don't understand how much time and effort goes into it. And, um, the level of trust and, and preparation and ability that all these guys have. So I think the one thing, you know, they've done a good job. They, they have some talented kids that are in the program. They can all clearly spin it. Um, you know, they're, they're recruited a certain way. Um, we don't have dual three, right, dual threat quarterbacks because coach Chris is not going to run a dual threat run style, you know, the quarterback system. So these guys all come from places that they've thrown the ball substantially in their high school. Um, so I think that's one thing, obviously the best decision will get made too. Um, I think it's, you know, it's so hard to pick up. Um, I think it's just so hard to pick up number one, the speed of the college game, because obviously Graham is, and I think Graham has a little bit of a advantage in the sense that he's gone against some of the top players in the country through some of the things he's qualified for, whether elite 11 and, um, the different all-star games and summer series that he went through. So, in some respects, he's played against some of the top-tier talent and with the top-tier talent. Um, but then it's a matter of coming in and developing chemistry with the players you already have because that's a whole new environment, a whole new team. Um, and then you need to work diligently. You know, you're going to be throwing against guys that have had three to four years of experience with the same group of guys, and now you have to adjust to that. So that can't be um, underscored enough because I think it's just it's hard to, to get caught up with who the guys you're playing with are going to be. Um, and then it's the mental side of things of being able to handle, you know, all the nuances of the offense. Um, cause I know the rate at which coach Chris wants to install and keep up with and put together. And it's not just, it's not just, um, the simple alignment, but then it shifts motions, uh, play actions, roles, you know, launch points and keeping your head on while all that stuff is happening. And obviously Alex Hornibrook and Jack Cohn have the luxury of having a couple of years under that. Um, but I think all the guys will get their fair shot. I mean, I think that's something that's going to be, I would have a hard time believing any one person in the, after the spring or after the conclusion of the season, coach Chris is going to come out and say, you know, Hornibrook's our guy and we're going to roll with it. Like that's just how it's going to be. Cause I think you have to be fair to everyone involved and you got to take what's best uh, for the program. So I think that there's going to be a lot of different aspects that are going to be fine. Um, you know, are they going to be tough to kind of negotiate for a new guy coming in versus, but also at the same time, the old guys that are there have to step up their game because they're going to get someone that on the outside is perceived to be the top recruit in his class. 
you know, he's finally got a chance to come here. He's done a good job of rallying the troops about what he wants to win a national championship at Wisconsin. And obviously he's going to do everything. He's going to do everything in his power to make sure that that happens. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting test, uh, of the locker room. Number one, like guys, how they respond to everybody. And then two, um, you know, how those, all those guys prepare and what they change, if anything, to make those guys successful next year. Cause I think you can count on a better year from the Badgers next year. Uh, after some of the growing pains they've had to take. And I think the quarterback position will be the number one position under scrutiny as much as it typically is in any college football program, you know, around the country. Joel, one quick question, quick, before we move on, you talked about, and you mentioned the install and how that <clears throat> goes through and everything through with that. Um, when you were at UW, was there, um, I guess, was there a pretty significant learning curve uh, for the quarterbacks when they were coming in? Um, while you were there, uh, were there any that, that maybe performed better than others? Or, or was it usually a, a pretty um, foregone conclusion that a kid's going to need probably a year or two before they really have a grasp on, on what they're calling and can really command the huddle like that? Yeah, I think, I mean, it really was a year or two because guys just had, <laughs> you had so much to process. And I mean, I look at, you know, I think about coming from a high school offense that, you know, I coach in or whatever. And most of these guys, I mean, think about the guys that were there when I was there, you had, you know, you had John Stocko, you had Jim Sorge, um, guys that came in when I was there, Tyler Donovan. I mean, Tyler Donovan was a run-based offense in, in his high school and, you know, was able to freestyle and they had dudes that could fly over the place. And it's different when everyone's pretty much even or you're competing against guys that are so much better. But again, just the knowledge base of formation, shifts, motions, run checks. I mean, there's so many other components that, that go um, into it that it, it definitely takes a year to just not be spinning. You know, I think that that's, and if you go to scout team, then you really don't have any, you're really not involved in game planning. So then you kind of, you lose that. And then you got to go back to work on day one, back when the spring starts up. So, um, but if Graham's a kid that's going to come in in the spring and, and have a chance to compete, then obviously he can go through those lumps in spring, which will be a whole lot better and then develop that over the summer. So that's where I think guys give themselves a chance if they come in early um, to go through the, the ups and downs. Uh, go through the ups and downs in the spring rather than going through them in fall camp and then kind of having to sit the whole year. So, gotcha. Now, Joel, I know we got to get get you out there, uh, out of here, man. Appreciate your everything. You, obviously, your analysis, your breakdowns from from your perspective. Uh, love to have you on. Hopefully, you know, obviously, again for the podcast soon. Uh, but other than that, happy Thanksgiving, brother. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me on, Owen. It was nice chatting with you, and uh, we'll be in contact soon. Sounds great, guys. That's Joel Nellis, former Wisconsin tight end, co-author of Walk On This Way. And Owen, oh, uh, real quick, too, uh, anything you got, uh, for any other keynotes from the game before uh, you head out for uh, to go back to work? Um, Not, not really. Uh, I, I thought it was um, extremely encouraging. Obviously, um, as a fan, right, you're happy because the, the passing game really picked up, and I think that's um, that's all well and good. I was very encouraged for the human being, Jack Cohn, um, who, as we've uh, kind of discussed, has probably gotten some fair or not um, unjust criticism over the past few weeks, being thrown into a pretty tough spot. Um, and I, so I, I, I was happy for him. Uh, it was pretty evident that he just kind of turned it loose, that he was he was more confident in that moment. I don't know if it was a one-on-one uh, matchup to Danny Davis type thing uh, or or something along those lines, but I was extremely encouraged to see him just really let it rip um, and give his receiver a chance to make a play. 
um, which is something that we had mentioned Danny Davis hadn't done as much of this year, uh, but both of those plays were, were plays that he made quite a bit last season. Um, I was pretty, pretty happy about that and also very happy um, to see more of the 11 personnel shotgun runs with Jonathan Taylor. That was the um, the same play that he scored the touchdown in the first overtime on was the same play that they scored a touchdown on um, against Nebraska last year, right before halftime, he had that long 75 yard touchdown run. That was that same play obviously worked well. And then the other thing uh, for anybody, and we talked about this and I might try and get something up this week about it. Anyone that can go back and watch that game, just watch Tyler Biotish. Um I know uh, Ben Solak from the Draft Network had mentioned it quite a bit on Twitter. He said he's seen quite a few guys he expects to be first-round picks this season. He said Tyler Biotish is the best player he's seen um, in person so far this year. And, and going back and just looking quickly, um, Lorenzo Neal Jr., who's the son of the former Charger fullback, is the nose tackle at Purdue, and he's pretty darn good for a college defensive lineman. And Tyler Biotish absolutely had his way with Lorenzo Neal. Um, so super encouraging that way as well uh, for the fans that didn't feel as though that the running game had uh, lived up to the expectations despite leading the country in rushing yards. Um, other than that, yeah, it, very um, a lot of encouragement uh, moving forward on offense and uh, kind of mentioned in the uh, Three Things article. That I don't know if it's a great week to be a Minnesota Golden Gopher defender um, with Wisconsin seemingly, hopefully, kind of catching its stride here heading into the last week of the regular season. Yeah, and uh, you guys will hear it too uh, for Bucky's fifth quarter. You're not to see or see it, I should say. We have this podcast going up in just a little bit. And then on top of that, we're going to have uh, Axe Week stuff going on, talking about Drew Hom. I'll have a uh, an article up, uh, uh, maybe a masterpiece for those, according to some Wisconsin Badger fans coming up. Uh, but also – We'll break down like uh, one's going out later today about just a, kind of a brief primer on the series, uh, some all time series notes, and then also just a ton of content coming up. Uh, and tomorrow night uh, at Beer Rock, 2911 North Sherman Avenue here in Madison, I'll be on with Jason Galloway and we're going to preview Minnesota. We'll have some player interviews from tomorrow's availability and whatnot too so we're going to give you a lot a lot of content this week especially even though there is there are tons of things going on uh with the holiday season and whatnot too but um other than that brother i'm good to go here and uh we appreciate you guys uh obviously taking some time out to listen to us listen on itunes on google play on the tune in app Big thing, subscribe on iTunes and Google Play because you get that instantaneously. Like once it get once it's uploaded and once it's uploaded to the iTunes feed, it's right there for you uh, to listen to. And then on top of that, follow us on Twitter at Reese Draft for Owen R I E S E Draft. Me at Jake Coco K O C O B five Q. And then also for for Joel for that matter, Mister M R underscore Nellis N E. L L I S uh, on Twitter and also like our Instagram page for that matter, because Matt Fleming and Dan Singer are doing some great things with the photos. Uh, and we appreciate the nice amount of likes we've received uh, recently uh, for that. So uh, on that note, guys, tune in or was it later this week? We're going to have obviously some Minnesota preview with, with, Jason Galloway live from beer rock. I will play that audio and put it up on the podcast, but also we're going to break down to uh, some player interviews and then 
I'm hoping to get a couple players on to talk about uh, a little bit more about the Minnesota rivalry, and we'll see if I can pull that off with the holidays going on. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can do there. Other than that, folks, uh, guys, just have a, a great start to the week. We'll catch you guys here on Bucky's fifth podcast. Thank you.